okay, first, before I even introduce you, I will ask if you go by Adrian or Lilith. Well, that has been a contention for the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's basically what whatever you're introduced to me as or however we initially know each other and whatever specific space I'm moving through. Um, so people who have known me since before 2019 usually refer to me as Adrian. People who know me um, more in the art scene um, will refer to me as Lilith. And then my actual artist performance name is Avatar Lilith. So <laughs> we're pretty fragmented okay. in, in this space. Um, but yeah, I like the fragmentation. And do you have a preference or just kind of... We can we can do we can do Adrian right well, now. Yeah, it may, maybe it's yeah. Intimate. It will it will make more sense of the distinction between the three, two or three different personas. Yeah, it's like two and a half. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Adrian is a three D artist, designer, performance artist, musician, and creative technologist based in Brooklyn. And they joined me today to talk a little bit about their work, which I'm familiar with. Um, and I'm really excited to get to know more about, um, I've been writing a little bit recently about, um, how we project ourselves online and how it shapes our own ideas of self-identity. Um, and I find that your work with avatars is a really great way to capture this and exemplify it. Um, so I wanted first just to ask you about the use of an avatar in your work sure um so i think of my use of avatars in general as a tool of reflection a performance piece an object an art object we love an art object mm-hmm. uh, and something that is a source of uh future speculation um the way that I use it in my work is I sort of extend the relationship from this object into the actual process of creating the object. So my relationship to it is very much one of birth, modification, revision, reflection. And um, it's something that has the opportunity and the possibility to embody multiple modalities of um whether it's multiple modalities of realms, of, of identity, of um, materiality. Um, and yeah, so to be more specific, mm-hmm. I actually will use it in my performances. So whether it looks like um, a virtual live stream performance where I'm doing motion capture or whether it is a projection behind me in a screen uh, in, a, in a venue or in a gallery space, um, and then also, I can perform as my avatar without, you know, any projection or any any type of virtual space at all. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the questions that I was thinking of asking you was the space in between the digital avatar versus when you can fully inhabit it. And does the avatar only exist online? Okay. So I really really love this question because I'm always thinking about the 
concept of where do I end, where do you begin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is flesh to flesh. But when there is this level of abstraction of of a form or of of a dimension, we sort of have to create these these differences because in in defining something, uh, it it is known through the difference. And since this is a new realm. We sort of have to manufacture these differences, and the and they're they're mutable and they're they're changeable, um, because new and emerging technology is not fixed. Mm-hmm. So we sort of have to keep continuing this relationship um, to uncover what that can tell us about ourselves. Yeah. And so for me, when we're thinking about uh, where where does you know physical flesh Adrian begin, and when do, where does Avatar Lilith end? Um, I really like to encourage the possibility that there is no beginning and ending and that I am not, a lot of people are like, are you performing as this thing or is this thing performing as you? Mm-hmm. Which one is it? And I always will answer yes to all of, <laughs> all of those questions yeah. because I really would like to encourage people to embrace these, um, uh, Experience of experiences of multiple truths existing in one constraint, and that's really what that what the avatar is. Um, what what the relationship that I have with my avatar is basically. Yeah, um, it seems like kind of an identification or like a calling out of something that we all experience, especially when it comes to our digital selves. Like we're all split into these different um, fractions of people even the different ideas of subjectivity that we have within ourselves, like the people who we are when we're by ourselves versus when we're with our parents versus our friends or whatever, like at school, at work. Um, And then that can also exist on different platforms on the internet and different personas that you inhabit, like, um, you know, Twitter and ons. Oh, yeah. Well, I have been really really thinking about this idea of fragmentation and fractions of of identity and i have realized that especially since you know at the beginning we talked about having multiple names and so what what does a name do it it evokes certain aspects of um our personalities that we get to project into this specific container and so i think that this fragmentation of identity is the it's like the mechanism of creating all of these different containers for us to embody um, and express different parts of ourselves. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a one-to-one thing, right? Like an avatar doesn't have to look like you or it doesn't have to be exactly you. It could just be an extension or a level of abstraction that allows you to embody certain characteristics. Um, and I mean, that's also what names do, I think. Yeah. And um, it's, yeah, There's there's a lot of, um, like quant- quantification, quantization, quantization? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of, you know, needing to pick mm-hmm. between instead of having it be all all of these fragments and fractions can exist at once. Yeah, and as human beings, we can choose to shift between them, um, or embrace all the states at all times. Um, and so, I think this physical fracturing is really just an extension of the fracturing that we do to ourselves um in the constraints of 
um, what is expected of us in social spaces or in political spaces. Um, and yeah, I, yeah. Uh, why do you think that we need to fragment ourselves in order to feel, I don't know if it's the permission that we need in order to inhabit certain roles or display certain characteristics or qualities? Ugh. Such a good question. <laughs> I think we want to identify with others and be part of a community and we want to be accepted. And I, even when we were talking about just the idea of difference earlier is the difference is the identifier. And in, I guess, reducing the definitions or reducing or um, minimizing an identifier to be something tangible to other people, I think, lets us sort of be able to feel comfortable with not being extremely complex or not being able to have a cognitive dissonance of being two contrasting things at, at one time. Because um, the cognitive dissonance of holding conflicting truths is very difficult for a lot of people. Um, I agree. Yeah. I think it's kind of a necessary component of our existence that I all I guess I'll say it like this. I think a lot about the way that we try to objectify ourselves and it's like this it's it's this necessary thing that we have to do in order to develop even a sense of of self-conception or subjectivity. You're always thinking about how you are coming up to other people. Absolutely. And especially with um, TikTok and the recursivity of seeing yourself and seeing the reflection of your own image and then having that be this endless feedback loop of what what identifiers you should embody. It's it really it can be very, very reductive. Um, yeah. And it's so crazy how having this hyper fixation on ourselves I mean, it could be on anyone, but usually, usually it's of ourselves and we're extremely critical of it. Also, it really does start to actually change what you see in your, in your head. Even when you're looking at an image of you that everyone else sees, you can see it differently than other people will see it. At least I think so. Well, that's a whole uh, dysmorphia situation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe it's like a digital dysmorphia that we feel. Um, and it can be really disorienting for a lot of people. Um, yeah, like, you know, when you're on a Zoom call and you're w watching your little reflection in the corner and you're like, that's not me, though. Like, yeah, it's it's this level of abstraction that is supposed to represent me, but it, it also it is and it also is not me. It's not one. It's not two. It's somewhere in between. It's it's this thing that sort of begins to take on its own uh, narrative or its own identity. And that's a little uncanny, I think. Even even if we're just talking about the little Zoom window person that yeah. is you and it's just staring back at you. And um, it's, it's a very uh, disorienting effect. In order for us to be confronted with this image of ourselves, we have to start doing all of these, I don't know if I want to call them mental gymnastics, but like... <laughs> we're all very flexible yes exactly we're kind of breaking ourselves into different um into different beings like this is what i look like when 
I'm taking a photo with my back facing camera versus my front facing camera versus when I'm on my MacBook Mm -hmm. versus when someone else takes a picture of me. All of these different things. Well, we all know about the iPhone, Apple depth sensor, front facing camera that distorts your face. Exactly. Right. And how everyone actually has a a selfie dysmorphia from Mm -hmm. thinking that we look like one thing where the the angle perspective um enhance like uh, actually uh makes certain features bigger than what they actually are yeah like do you remember that tiktok filter uh the zoom out yeah yeah face <laughs> zoom or something yeah it's like this is what you actually look like uh-huh i thought it was kind of strange because everyone was kind of freaking out like oh my god i didn't know yeah and i was like have you never seen uh, like a, a photo of yourself or yourself in a mirror maybe at a distance i Everyone knows that there's this depth perception and change in depth yeah. that can change how our characteristics appear to us. But since it's ourselves, looking at ourselves is much more meaningful. Those small changes are... I think this, this is also... Um, it, it could also lead to a conversation about, um, you know, cognitively knowing something and then having a, a visceral experience of something that is a completely different experience. And if, if it's like, okay, well, I've seen a picture of myself, but every day I see myself through this particular lens, your body and your, your subconscious starts to learn and pick up and, and create narratives or identifiers that sort of instruct you on this truth, right? Um, and there are certain types of knowledge that are it's it's not super accessible to us but we pick things up that sort of surpass just cognition and surpass like okay well i I know that this really isn't me or it is me but maybe my body doesn't know the difference because it's what i'm used to or because this has been my continued experience Mm -hmm. so how do you deal with this um with this fragmentation into i know that you highlighted three different parts right which I can only assume are three of many. Um, right, exactly. Yeah, it's infinite. We are all infinite. So how do you choose that these are three are the most important that you would like to name them or even give them a face? Hmm. Well, I think they are just the emergent properties of what has just naturally occurred um, in being and in existing and uh interacting with people and interacting through my art practice and through my performance um and there i mean there's obviously a history behind the the names that i have um behind adrian that's my birth name and then lilith is my performance name and uh avatar lilith is it's me but i also birthed me (laughs) yeah um it's uh I think those are, at least for now, the roles that I do step into, but it's also a reminder for me to embrace all of those aspects at one time. Um, And yeah, I think, I guess, well, maybe it could be, well, why only these three or why not a billion names? Um, I think maybe in posing a smaller amount of things to have cognitive dissonance with it can just be a more bite-sized example of having multiple not necessarily conflicting things in in one space but things that are to be held in in one container yeah 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 
Um, I would love to know a little bit more specifically about Avatar Lilith. Yes. And the differ- differentiation of the Avatar versus yourself. Mm-hmm. As you birthed it. Okay, well, I would love to talk about my birthing process. I my, <laughs> my conception, my visceral, uh, bloody conception of this being that is and is also not me. Um, so the original idea for just building an avatar or just building my avatar was to basically remove myself from the constraints of physicality and physical violation and um, distill this new body or my body against the passage of time. And um, I very quickly learned that building a virtual body and putting it into a digital space isn't quite as safe and protected as one might think uh, in comparison to the constraints of physical violation. And um, that is uh, one of the main concepts behind the the work that I do is what are the types of um, violations that could potentially happen with virtual bodies and what's our relationship to these virtual bodies? And is there something that transcends just likeness for example if we're specifically talking about avatars with the likeness of ourselves um which is what avatar lilith is for me um and in this birthing process um i mean we can we can talk shop about the nitty-gritty yeah. uh, tech stuff we have i mean you know depending on the time uh i can just give a brief overview of um what that process looks like yeah for sure um so Basically, when I made this most recent version of Avatar Lilith, I would sit at my desk, have a mirror facing me. And by the way, this is the most insane process for building an avatar. If anyone is interested in building an avatar, you don't have to do it this way. I'm just insane, and that's uh, part of the artistic process. Mm -hmm. Um, I would sit and sculpt my face every single day from vertex to vertex. So in uh, a 3D object, you have... <laughs> You're shaking your head at me like, why would you do this to yourself? Um, great question. Yeah, it's insane. It's, it's, it's what being an artist is. How long did it take? Um, probably, I mean, definitely weeks. Um, I've had different versions dropped. Um, and I think it's just going to be a never-ending process, honestly especially as I age, you know, what's, what's going to, what's it going to look like when I have different versions of Avatar Lilith aging with, with my body? Um, just put it through the face app. Uh, the face app. Yeah. Filter. <laughs> uh, it's the level of abstraction being uh, um, adjusted by the level of abstraction being adjusted by the level of abstraction. Exactly. Um, so um, anyway, I would, I would sit at my desktop and sculpt my face from, from scratch. So I um, basically started from a cube essentially. Well, actually, no, I started from an eyeball, like the eye opening. Okay. And then I extruded the mesh from there. Um, and a mesh is basically a, a coordinate system of data points that tell the computer what images to put on the screen. So it's a spatialized system that says, hey, um, well, what should I put onto your viewport depending on where this um, coordinate system is? Um, I mean, this is a very root, ba- basic kind of crappy explanation, but... Um, yeah, so um, there's uh, I, the process of sculpting in 3D, where it's basically just like sculpting um, 
like like you normally would uh, with clay in real life, except it's just projected onto a 2D screen. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did that every single day. And each day, as I looked at my avatar and she looked at me back and we both looked at each other and I realized that maybe this person has more agency than I do in, in real life. And she began to take on this new narrative of her own and this new agency that I was not expecting at all. And that tells me that avatars span beyond just likeness. There is this um, kind of metaphysical relationship that you have when you're looking at something that is almost human. Um, I mean, we all know about the Uncanny Valley. That's mm -hmm. old news. Um, <laughs> but um, there's something that... I feel like a lot of people aren't considering about the weighted value of this phenomenologically passive 3D object because it's meant to be used, it's meant to be moved, it's meant to be animated by a developer. And that presents this really, really insane power dynamic, especially when we're talking about corporations. Okay, well, this is it. This is tangent land. So <laughs> I don't know if we want to end up here, but um, go for it. Especially if we're talking about um, ownership and identity of corporations using, I mean, uh, Apple Vision just dropped a, mm -hmm. a yeah. few days ago, and that's talking about actually scanning your features to create this virtual representation of you. And that has just been, this has been what I've been talking about for, yeah, yeah, yeah. for years. Um, and so we are not ready for the implications of um, just this this knowledge that is, you know, it, it goes back to the different types of knowledge, like this this ontological metaphysical phenomenological relationship that we have with these with these beings um mm -hmm. and i know that because i made one from scratch and i didn't have to but i i felt like that process was really essential in me learning about what what it was like to um create this thing that is now a simulacra of myself yeah um and we are one, we are not two, we are somewhere in between. Right, right. And if you multiply that on a scale of a hundred or a thousand or a billion, uh, what is our relationship going to be like with each other? So when you say that, that you started to feel like the avatar had more agency than you, do you think that this was a kind of transference? Like it was giving you inspiration for you to put something that you didn't know that you had into this avatar or do you think it actually tangibly has more agency than you within the virtual world well i think this is a question of what what is a truth situation does that make sense it's like is this thing actually more powerful than i am or am i just seeing that this thing yeah, is powerful yeah. than i am and i think it doesn't really matter because that sensation is still occurring and it's it's oh it's actually the same thing of like okay let me know if this makes sense <laughs> it's the, this question relationship to me is the same question relationship as um what our relationship to chat gpt is mm -hmm. um or or you know these like ai language systems where um it doesn't matter if it's you know, if there is a man in the machine or not, we're still sensing this this um, personified experience just because of the language that is being used. And because we're having that visceral experience in our bodies and in our relationship to this machinery, um, to this this virtual um, experience, 
it doesn't matter whether or not it's actually real or not real. We're still engaging with that through our limbic system and through, um, you know, through our natural experience of, of connection. And so to me, it doesn't really matter whether or not this thing has more agency than I do. It's, it's this sensation that occurs with that. It's a feeling. It's, it's a feeling. And then that feeling can sort of underline or, or expand upon um, what these relationships will be in the future. Does that make sense? It's, yeah. It's, I think it's less about the truth. It's more about the experience of this emergent relationship. Mm-hmm. I see what you mean, for sure. That could have been very confusing. <laughs> no, I think I get it. Um, so when you are either inhabiting this avatar, performing physically or virtually, what are they doing? So I've had a few performances where um, I would do motion capture. So I would live stream my body and my face into this system that would detect my skeleton, basically. And it would transfer this data into a game engine that would move my avatar. So essentially, I could just puppet my avatar. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would do some like vocal modulation. So in speaking, uh, my voice would change and I would perform as Avatar Lilith. Um, And so that would be over live stream. So my physical body, while I'm technically performing, it's just me through the computer. Um, And so when, so my most recent performances as Avatar Lilith, um, I have uh, unfortunately decided that it's not really (laughs) um, smart or um, easy to bring my entire desktop into any performance that I do. It's just, no, not super (laughs) Well, it's funny because um, I actually did a, a tour with um, a couple other collaborators where we actually brought the desktop from New York to LA, or sorry, to Pittsburgh, from Pittsburgh to LA and back. And I'm like, how did I even do that? I was lugging an entire machine across the world. <laughs> but um, so now what I do is I will actually pre-render animations of my avatar and sort of construct this um extension of a narrative from my physical space into this virtual space and um i will either have it on a screen or a projection behind me and it's um a way to explore what the actual relationship is um i mean i say physically because it's physically (laughs) yes um materially yes yes that's yes materially very good uh word um so um, I'm exploring the material relationship between myself and my avatar and what extensions of a narrative could be imparted onto this virtual space that has these endless possibilities. Um, and um, I, yeah, I'm still developing that relationship. Like, like I said, the process is a very important part of the work. It's not necessarily where I end up. It's just so really just supposed to ask uh questions um and it's kind of an exhibition of this connection that you have yeah 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 yeah, sort of um it's a tool of research and also a performance and also a collaboration like i feel like i'm really collaborating with this this entity Mm -hmm. um that i also birthed (laughs) right wait my son (laughs) she's beautiful um, I was thinking, 
uh, when I was planning some of the questions or things that I wanted to go over with you, you know, I kept going back to other examples of avatars that most of us have probably experienced in our lives. Um, a good one is always the me. The me? The we. Like the we, me. I was obsessed with those. People were really obsessed with them. And honestly, I mean, when I think about it, people are really um, focused in on any kind of um, character slash avatar that they have to build in their own likeness. You spend a lot of time creating it. Um, this is embarrassing for me to admit, but I'm still on Snapchat. It's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. When I tell people this, they're truly shocked. But all my friends from back home still use it. And my mom still uses it. And you know how on Snapchat you have that little bit emoji? It's cozy. And I will notice that my friends, if they get their hair dyed brown, as soon as they go on Snapchat, they have already updated their avatar mm. with their bit emoji to reflect their new hair color. Yeah, it, it makes me think of um, the Andre Bezan's um, ontology of the photographic image of this idea of the mummy complex, mm -hmm. where we just want to stow ourselves away from the passage of time to, um, well, uh, subvert oblivion, as, as Ruby would say. Um, what do you say? Just like yeah, to not, to to go away from oblivion <laughs> to to escape oblivion. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a very human sensation to have yeah. um with starting with you know portraiture photography with um you know having any it goes back to the fragments right it's like where how can we leave the fragments behind that then begin to take on their own world or their their own life um but it's also the idea of creation and birth and modification and identity and that is a very very powerful tool to have to be able to project that um fluid identity or this like fluid and dynamic and um shifting representation of ourselves especially online i mean yeah, yeah. um it's also the easiest way to do it what is the snapchat bit emoji no manipulating our this image that we have of ourselves through a virtual format rather than a, a physical one. Yeah, you can do it to a certain extent. Physically. Right, but, like, you can't really have wings in real life. And, like, if you don't like your nose, you can kind of fix it, but it's a big investment. <laughs> That's true, but that actually goes into that whole conversation um, about... Well, okay, you are the... You're you're driving the car, so if I'm if I'm making a, a you tangent, yeah, just Jesus take, take it home. Um, so this is uh, leading into the territory of um, in in Spark AR. Um, there was this whole contention of whether or not plastic surgery filters should be allowed, right? Um, and that was really really big in um, I guess quarantine era where people were making these filters, and then there was this whole debate of whether or not uh plastic surgery like or filters that sort of emulated plastic surgery procedures should be allowed um because it was very distressing towards uh towards a lot of people um and uh yeah it's just uh yeah I'll, I'll leave it at that um yes 
I agree. I was kind of writing about this the other day. I think it is obviously detrimental, but I think it just kind of exploits this innate anxiety that we are already vulnerable to something that is already inside of us. And we are, I think we're, we're figuring out ways for it to manifest in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a pretty common condition of of being alive and having to constantly think about yourself and imagine yourself. Um, sorry, uh, there's one question that I was just thinking of. Oh, it was um, when you were building Avatar Lilith, were you actively trying to make it as close to your likeness as possible? Or was there some room for okay interpretation? So when I was building this Avatar... I sort of intentionally didn't use any real scans or um, I, I wanted the process to be as organic as possible so that whatever emerged out of this collaboration between myself and this software mm-hmm. was this new simulated being that um, was me, but also was not me. Um, and I think that that was important in the relationship that I wanted to build with this material, non-material being. Um, Because if it was just a scan, it felt like it was less gestated. Um, And so what ended up happening was this avatar has some of my features, but there's something that's a little bit off, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, you know how it's like some people... Okay, people have been saying this on the internet, but there's this, this like lore that... um no matter how hard you try to draw Zendaya or Zendaya. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah. You can't. Um, there's always something that's going to be a little bit off. So how do you encapsulate the soul of of your identity into this extension of a medium, right? I mean, if anyone's a figurative painter, like we all know that drawing faces are just pretty difficult, um, let alone sculpting faces. And I think that... Um, Embracing the seams of the medium is very important to me um, in this collaboration because I think the affordances of of this new emerging technology shouldn't really be um, hidden. Um, and so if there is a vertex that's like in the wrong place or there's something that's showing a seam of, of a texture map, um, is an, it's an accidental um, property of, of my collaboration with this tool, I want to leave that in there. And so... If this being ends up kind of looking like me, but also kind of not looking like me, that's also, I think, important for that. Right. And it's, it's all a result of the collaboration between you and the tool and the avatar. Yeah. Itself. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes, actually. Um, but yeah, it's it's the digital scenes. Right. I like to say. Um, yeah, I was thinking of some other examples um, that just came to my mind that I think most people would probably be familiar with. The biggest one is definitely Lil Gala. Or um, we all know her. We all love her. We love to know and just critique her. Yeah. I mean, I haven't thought about her for a while, but I think the last time I checked up on her, I was like, yeah, oh. Yeah, and, and symbolized the narrative also. I just wasn't really chiving with. Yeah. Um, I guess it kind of makes sense, but... When she became a pop star, that was a yeah. little bit like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that actually the origin lore of Avatar Lilith was 
I really just wanted her to be sort of an antithesis of Wilma Kaler. Right. Yeah. Um, antithesis in what way? Um, well, instead of a, of um, a group of people trying to create a marketing tool to sell products to children, um, I wanted it to be something that is um, more subversive and um, reflective. And um, again, it's the idea of letting people ask questions um, and examining what should or shouldn't be done, or not even what should or shouldn't be done, but just examining the relationship between um like what what is an icon what is an avatar what is our relationship or the parasocial relationships that we have with things that aren't even real Mm -hmm, exactly i think what they did from what i could see at least was lean in too much into the she is almost just like a real girl but she's not and then they started creating these narratives of like it was her birthday, but she wasn't aging, and she was really yeah. sad. And then she started having boyfriends. Yeah, it was, it, it was just kind of odd. And it was, I mean, I hate to say it, probably one of the most boring places that you can take that. Yeah, I mean, it's also just like uh, when you're capitalizing off of this like uh, image of uh, this is also a completely other tangential conversation. Um, but just to really quickly touch on it, it's the idea of capitalizing off of this perpetually. Um, young, racially ambiguous teen person that can say and do whatever you want. Um, and um, I don't think that's ethical, mm-hmm. frankly. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I definitely see what you mean. One of the other examples that I was thinking of was Grimes's warnings, if you remember that. Do I? Okay, it was kind of brief. Okay, right? Um... It was when Grimes was pregnant and she had created this bald character. Um, How did I miss that? I I guess I jumped off of the Grime boat. Yeah, it was kind of, it was like after the whole Elon thing. Okay. Um, But she did have this this avatar of herself that she was sending to photo shoots and stuff for a pretty brief period of time because she didn't feel like she was able to do it. And I actually have... A quote from her. Oh, right. <laughs> she says, Warnif is my digital avatar, aka my digital self. Everyone is living two lives, their digital life and their offline life. I want to tether my two lives from each other for mental health purposes and also for fun. And I definitely see what she means when she's saying this, but it seems like kind of a, um, it seems like a reduction of narrowing herself down into two selves the online and the offline and the war nymph symbolizes the online yeah i think that just goes into reverting to binary logic when we don't have to mm-hmm. um like we all are just continually talking about the virtual versus the physical versus the and it's it's really just um creating this unnecessary binary because we already have a virtual identity and we already exist in virtual spaces regardless of the tech um and i yeah i think um i think that is a little reductive um in the sense that there are so many power dynamics that happen when you create something and let it exist on its own and you 
I, I mean, actually, I don't know what it looks like, but uh, show you. Okay, <laughs> it's like this bald. Does it look like Grimes? No, it does not look like Grimes. No. Interesting. It kind of. It's got. It's grimy. The nose kind of. It's grimy. Yeah. yeah. Um. It's always bald though, and I think it start. Oh, it started out as a baby. Ah, interesting. Um. I think when people who have very public platforms do these sorts of experiments that have lots of tethering to um, avenues of potential disaster, um, I mean, this isn't really just, this is a very specific example mm -hmm. of that. Um, I mean, AI is also a very specific, broader example of that. Right. Um, I really just wish that more care is put into asking more questions about it mm -hmm. um instead of saying okay this is this thing this is that thing that's it um it's virtual digital that's that's everything right and i feel like anytime i see this happening especially with like the long Kayla situation i'm just like kicking myself of just um wanting people to be more um inquisitive and and critical um, an extension of that and why I was thinking of all of these examples was just to ask you if there's any kind of avatar work or art or even um, avatars on different apps that you like and you enjoy the representation of and you think are doing it well. Ah, the positive spin. <laughs> ah, I, I'm actually guilty of sometimes forgetting to focus on those positives. Um, it's hard out here. It's, it's hard out here. Um, I think we have yet to get there because, um, it's not a piece of technology that's accessible to everyone. And so the community responses, I think, are not, um, really developed yet because it's so, I mean, it's not niche, but it's like, um, very fragmented. So it's a little bit hard to say what works and what doesn't. Um, I... Earlier in, well, pre-pandemic, um, I had this intention of creating this platform called the Ether Institute, where it was this um, critical and inquisitive platform where people could um, talk about what legislation should be for avatars or um, even just go through experiments of how these um, 3D objects and 3D bodies should be treated. Mm -hmm. um, I I mean not not to shout out myself, but th this is I I okay, I just need to like uh I want to think more about it and then maybe give you off I can follow up with some some more research about sure about it. But um I started this experiment called hands.fbx where um during like heavy heavy quarantine I asked my friends to send me selfies of their hands and then a word that they resonated with and then I, in the same process of building my own avatar from scratch, I would create their hands. And to me, that was a first experiment of um, what the idea of, of ownership and agency is um, towards a 3D object. Because it's an object, right? And with objects come the conversation of ownership and the way that we treat the world, right? Or in, in the way that, in relation to the constraints of world, right, as it exists today. Um, and um, I think 
it brought up a lot of questions of if I'm creating your hand and hands are a very identifiable feature of people. Yeah. So if I'm creating this, if I'm birthing this, this object, does that mean it belongs to me? Does that mean it belongs to you? Um, what, what even, is there even a legislation that should be put onto this? Um, and what, what, what that relationship look like? Is it like, are we co-parenting this object? Like, is this thing now its own new thing that it can't be owned? Or, um, is it, you know, does it have its own, uh, should it exist on this platform? Like, there, there are just lots of questions that came up with that. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that, asking these questions but not necessarily having the answers is okay and a lot of people feel the need to have those answers right and i'm always more inclined to be supportive of things that aren't as dictatorial is that a word dictatorial i think so uh, i know you mean aren't as um um pedagogical um in terms of what should or shouldn't be because there's no way we're going to know what um our relationship to these bodies are going to be in like five, 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, the best we can do is just examine the current constraints of, of how we treat things right now. We could pose these speculative alternatives as a tool of reflection for how we see the, the earth and the world as it is right now. Um, and I think that lets us dream into this, um, not necessarily linear future or, but this, all of these um, endless possibilities of, of what we could create. Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but do you have any ideas for how you you intend to represent Avatar Lilith as you age? Ah, oh, that's too much. I actually, I try to not think about that. Mm -hmm. um, not because I don't like age i'm actually really excited to age um and also um not because i don't have a plan for it necessarily but because i want it to be this organic relationship that emerges when it has to emerge and so i'm trying to just naturally let that evolve over time and to have this um i i feel like it's i mean it, it is a recursive relationship as um in the way that I'm feeding into this thing and then this thing is feeding into me and then our narrative and dynamic is changing over time. And I think you can't really reverse engineer something like that. Like you can't reverse engineer the destination and then think about, well, how am I going to get there? Because I think that kind of changes the um, the performance or research. Um, yeah. It does seem kind of like a natural inclination that we have as people to be constantly thinking about the future and what right. you're going to be looking like or feeling like. That's a whole other, yeah, like we don't have to reverse engineer, especially in this economy. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it, intuitive uh, decision-making and logic, I think, is always, it can be very helpful. And even when it comes to um, the representations that we will have of ourselves in the future, we have no idea what yeah. we're going to see in our own face in yeah. 5, 10, 15 years. Are we even going to have faces? Exactly. They're going to be blown. Probably not Facebook, but they're all going to have Vision Pro. Oh, God. I've permanently attached to them. We're going to turn it into bug people. <laughs> I think that they look kind of cool, but... They are very fashion. Yeah, yeah. Very Moogler. Um, 
what else is the thing that I was thinking about in terms of the Vision Pro when you brought that up? About the face. Oh, yeah. Did you see um, they showed in the promo what the face was going to look like? Like the skin of the avatar? Yeah. When it was talking yeah. to someone. Yeah, it was very realistic. Um, it is not something that is new um, in terms of the hyperrealism. Like, we already have things like MetaHuman and, um, you know, Character Creator and all those types of realistic-ish uh, studios that help you create avatars like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the reason that it's not really criticized or not criticized but critiqued um is because it's not something like this is a huge change because now it's put onto a corporate marketplace that is supposedly going to be uh readily available for thirty five hundred dollars for the low low price exactly um but i'm i mean i'm actually the moving fast and breaking things is is moving fast and breaking things uh I really, I think we don't really know what's going to happen um, in terms of what the relationship with ourselves will be like um, and what the relationship to each other is going to be like um, if that's this now readily available system that is super realistic. And I think, you know, the problem that we had with like the plastic surgery filters or the front-facing camera or um, this fragmented falsified um abstraction of yourself you are now seeing as this hyper real uh mask of a person that is a scan of you essentially um i really think that that has to be researched Mm -hmm. neuroscientifically and tested more and just considered more before it's unleashed into the public yeah, I I keep for lots seeing pardon for lots of reasons. Oh, I do have a specific before we move on. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of people are like, oh, well, we already we have like photos and videos of us, and we see ourselves all the time. But the reason that this is so poignant is that it it's because it adds another layer of dimensionality mm-hmm. with movement and function, right? Like yeah. you are now able to control the movement and speech and facial expressions and um you're you're you just basically are now able to control this 3d representation of you and a lot of people will probably identify very heavily with these virtual bodies um in a way that's probably going to be very uncanny i mean i i even just the relationship that i have with my avatar and it's not even that realistic it it's visceral like i feel it i feel it in my in my guts um but it's specifically for the point that it's not a flat um, object anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not distilled in a particular media or file format. It's now able to be moved and shaped and uh, uh, puppeted essentially, mm-hmm. and that is pretty scary. <laughs> Why does that scare you? Um. Well, it scares me because we don't understand how much we're being surveilled, first of all, um, and how platforms are going to um, ensure the security and safety of these uh, of these avatars. Like, 
I mean, an avatar is just a series of data points, and anyone can, you know, potentially hack those data points and then use you for falsified um, media. I mean, we already have deep fakes, but this is something entirely different. Where mm-hmm. if you're developing this this like metaphysical relationship with this object, um, you might have certain feelings. I mean, th- that also like if we're talking about feelings towards virtual beings, like replica. That's a right. Yeah, which I think we talked about. Beforehand in a conversation, you've probably talked to Ruby about it. Ruby Maybe probably talked, yeah. About it. You know, it's gone on the loop, yeah. Um, so, um, and it's not—it's not to fearmonger. It's—it's mm-hmm. it's to just think about well, what is this actually doing? Like, how is it actually making us feel? Um, what should we be considering as we move forward into the future? And also, how much power do developers have? in in making these types of decisions or um should policymakers be involved like should this what what should we be doing um that would ensure the protections and agency of these bodies that we will very much have um specific and special relationships with Mm -hmm. um i was just thinking about how when you brought up deep fakes i always felt like immediately they really fell off pretty quickly yeah, no one's talking about them. No one has talked about them for so long. Um, that's kind of sketchy. That's kind of suspicious. When they came out, everyone was like, this is going to change our whole world. You're not yeah. going to be able to believe anything anymore. And then just immediately, it stopped being a problem. Well, I think what it is is that now nobody believes anything anymore. You think? I mean, I don't. Do you? I. How do I know we're <laughs> sitting in a room? <laughs> I'm just moving through. Um, we move through with a set of assumptions. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm moving through Rene Descartes' uh, mind body. Yes, yeah. his, his, his meditations all the time. <laughs> yeah, I guess people are doubting, are doubting things all of the time. But um, usually, when there's video evidence of something, and there's policies around that too now, right? On. I think that's why deepfakes stopped being such a problem. And then I know if you're on Twitter, but you always see like the warnings of like fact check or warning. This is not as, as it appears. Again, that only happens to things that are really popular. Right. And get a wide audience. And someone notices that something is off. These things are still definitely rampant, but you don't believe anything you see. I move about the world with um, an open and endless embracing all possibilities through skepticism. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I think my reality is very open to suggestion and um, criticality. So whether or not I believe a piece of media is, um, you know, if it's something that elicits a reaction, maybe I'll do a little bit of research on it. Maybe I'll try and figure out what the sources are from and, uh, you know, not take it at face value. But I think that that's actually changed to where it, that skepticism is even greater um, just from seeing deepfakes on the internet. Yeah. I will say, maybe for my last question, final question, final question, I do have this sense that in the era that we're in now, we're feeling a big pushback against this development of our digital representations of ourselves. People are kind of reverting to reality is best. 
truth and objectivity is best you know the filters are bad for you they're harmful for your psyche um and we shouldn't be having to deal with all of these new technological developments because it's scary yeah and it can be damaging to our mental health or maybe our ideas of self yeah and in the face of that do you have not to put you down into a yes or no but Uh uh-huh do you feel an inclination or a draw towards reality versus virtual or both at the same time? Well, the disclaimer of it's not, you know, an either or and it's not a binary and that everything is sort of fluid inside of itself. And uh, those states are occurring simultaneously. Um, I, hmm. oh, there were so many things that came up with that question. <laughs> um for me personally, I aspire to be an extremely embodied person that values my earthbound material uh, relationships and experiences. I love being in a body. I think we all forget that we are in bodies and that we experience this quote unquote virtuality through our physical bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially a lot of developers forget about that when we're developing for emerging technology and that is also a huge problem that has been a huge problem um and uh should not be uh people should consider that more um than um you know uh i mean there's a bunch of examples with that but um i personally um am very much more inclined to want to be physical and flesh-based and a material human being that experiences the full spectrum of emotions in my, in my body and um, feeling the, the dissonance and tension that occurs with, you know, feeling textures and, and smelling things and, and sensing things. Um, but as, you know, more developments occur, that line is obviously going to be blurred a little bit more because, um, you know, maybe we'll have more ability to have sensory experiences and like through emerging technology or um i mean there's also like uh vr porn and things that really really focus on the sensory experience of physical experiences and i think that's why i'm like well the boundary is fluid between virtual physical um of course yeah and um that is also why i think that we need to be more critical of these specific advancements with with avatars or with virtual beings or you know with the apple vision uh vision pro vision vision pro where it's like okay well we just basically want these people to now live inside of your phone Mm -hmm. like literally live in your phone i know that's what i've been thinking about in terms of vr like the oculus quest or meta quest whatever it's called now makes more sense to me as a goalpost that someone was aiming for instead of right now it's like you can look at your pictures but really big yeah <laughs> and on your couch yeah exactly <laughs> well i think i mean th- this goes back to like the importance of cognition like as you're growing like i i need to have cognition in physical space in order to be um like neurologically satisfied like i need to be tactile i need to sort things out in my space um in my material reality um 
And um, when that line is blurred, when, okay, well, I guess now they're doing that, where it's like, okay, you can have your messages on one wall and your YouTube video on the other wall and your Netflix thing on the other wall, That's that feels very um, um, corporeally oppressive. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, in corporate corporeal, come on, <laughs> the era that we are in. I definitely have a bias towards, I used to study phenomenology. I wrote my thesis about phenomenology, so I feel very grounded in the body. And for me, that always takes precedence. Yeah. And I just have this, have this tendency to, to believe that anything that can be projected into our reality, anything that can be put in front of our eyes, we can always use these structures or arguments to narrow down how it can be real, right? It's back to what is real. Yeah. Um, we're experiencing it all through the body. Yeah. And um, this is something that I was thinking about early t earlier today, actually, um, where we experience each other through the bounding box of our own lenses um mm -hmm. and that's kind of the only way that we can experience our reality is through the things that already are existing inside of us whether that's like love or hate or um a, a narrative about someone or a reality about someone it's through our own lens and through our own i keep using the word container and i can't stop maybe i won't stop it's through our own containers that we are existing um and experiencing each other and so it doesn't, like, I, you know, it's the question of, well, where do I end and you begin? But it's also the question of, well, I'm the only, I, I only know that I am real myself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could be a, an emanation from the mind of a child in a sandbox. And you will be. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think that we're focusing on this, like, the origin point and not the reception point of the of these like new advents of emerging technology like to be more specific it's like okay well how this this is chat gpt and this is like how it's what it's supposed to do and this is the process and structure of it but how is it actually received in my body and how am i experiencing it and perceiving it through my own lenses and through my own visceral experiences of that um did that make sense I think so. Okay. I think I got it. Okay. I'm trying to think if I had any more mm -hmm. outstanding questions. Was there anything else that I had sent over to you that you wanted to you wanted to touch on? Um Oh, I had one about Lacan. Oh yeah. That's always fun. Oh, we love Lacan. We did kind of cover that, like yeah. conceptually. Um I just think that the Lacan mirror stage, um, can be applied to this like new digital Lacan mirror stage of if we're specifically looking at our own identity and um, reflection through avatars and through virtual representations, maybe there's a new process of that self-identification. Like at what point do you self-identify with your own mirrored image of virtual space? I'm thinking right now about, have you ever heard of the what Mary knows argument? Uh, is it the TikTok thing? No, what is that? <laughs> there's there's this like TikTok about 
they, they talk about how the, a, a two-dimensional being would move through a three-dimensional space. So, I mean, yeah, it sounds like kind of dotted. So what Mary knows is, I don't know who wrote it or when, but it was, it's about qualia. It's an argument to prove qualia. Um, and Mary is this woman, or at one, at one point was a child, was born in this space where she doesn't have anyone. There's no color, but she has access to all the books in the world, and she spends her whole life in this space reading the books reading all about color experience touch all of the things that are out in the world and if she technically knows everything about a certain object or everything about the color red would she really know the color red and the general yes. argument is that no she wouldn't that's the type of knowledge different differences that mm -hmm. i um, that i keep trying to talk about is this I was thinking about a, a, a what Mary knows experiment where instead of having the mirror, it's like a Lacanian experiment. Instead of having the mirror, you just have like any kind of digital representation that is mirrored and the person can learn to recognize and identify themselves as and what they, that would do to their psyche or their perception of the world. Mm. I think it's a that's a question about um, like aesthetics and mm -hmm. how we value a visual representation over maybe something that's not as um, tang tangibly experienced. I think maybe that's something that could also be considered is why we need to have these visual representations, um, or like why vision is valued more than other ways of knowing. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, it's the re recursion, the recursiveness of putting these, um, sources of identity into this object, this receiving object, and then that in turn reflects and, and spits things back out at you. And then you take those things on and then it's, it's this like, uh, feedback loop. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Were you experiencing the mirror stage when you were birthing Avatar Lilith? I actually manufactured a mirror stage. I have a specific moment where that happened. And it was when I was modeling my head, like my full face and head. Uh, just, it was a disembodied head. And um, it was in ZBrush for, for those who know. If you know, you know. <laughs> and what I was doing was I was looking at her. And as I was looking at her, I would rotate the head when I would rotate my own head. Okay. And mind you, no one was in the room. I was just doing this by myself. And so I would move my head slightly to the right. And while I was doing that, I would move my cursor so that the head would rotate slightly to the right. And then I would do it to the left. And then I kept doing that, trying to uncover what visceral responses I was having. And... It's like, you know, the phantom limb type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Where our brains are so neuroplastic that we can take on any external membrane to um, uh, be an extension of our own bodies. And I feel like that's what was happening on not just this, like, physical sense, but on this, um, you know, very, like, 
ontological sense like mm-hmm. who is who is this right. thing how what do i what am i what are you where where do i end where do you begin uh and that was that was the moment i knew i had birthed my own self <laughs> it also it, it kind of sounds like a recalibration you know yeah yeah i'm trying to think of a good example of when you're like trying to pair or something or like oh yeah 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 I've never played Just Dance on the Xbox One, <laughs> but it's what I would imagine it to be. <laughs> I imagine you have to like calibrate your body so it knows like. Well, I feel like I calibrate my body every day when I wake up. Do you? I yeah, I have to. And how do you do that? I just remind myself that I exist and I have bones, and uh, I stretch, and that to me is the recalibration of uh, fitting back inside my flesh suit. Do you ever have to recalibrate with your avatar? Um, yeah, if there goes a long period of time where we don't spend time with each other, it's it's very jarring to pick up work um, on, like, p- pick back up on working with, with this person, being, thing. <laughs> All dashes in between. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I had this relationship where it was growing with me. Not in an age sense, but in a first it was just a low poly box and then it became something that had eyes and then mm-hmm. the evolution continued. Um, and then when I have some separation and I and then I resume this this connection, it's it's jarring. It's like, well, what have you been doing? What have you been up to? Have you been have you had your own life without me? Have you been making friends in this, you know, per- virtual space? That, you know, like what what narratives have has this thing taken on um and um yeah it's it's very it's very jarring yeah how do you rekindle your your uh intimacy my intimacy with my avatar yeah um that's a good question sometimes i feel like i am the avatar mm-hmm. and um i like to ask it questions and whatever I receive is this artistic creative messaging that is being pulled in from the ether. I feel like maybe this avatar is this messenger from from the ether to me. And um I think just in being more open and engaging to asking these questions, I think that's kind of how I rekindle my relationship with my avatar. Like it's because again it's this tool of of reflection. And it's this like tethering point of um, of this exploration that I have with me and myself and this two and a half fragmented person being, um, yeah. And so being open to this uh, ether is uh, something that helps me rekindle my relationship. Right, keeping the channels open. Keep the channels open. Yeah, yeah. embrace all possibilities. I love that. I think it's very beautiful. Um, I'm really grateful that I got to put all of your ideas into one framework. I was getting the general sense of your work uh-huh. and the importance of the avatar to you, but I feel like I really, I can draw the map out oh, the map. now. The fluid map. Well, I will have you know that I have an entire serial killer wall looking thing in my studio where it's just charts everywhere. Oh, of everything. Of everything. Like, I just can't stop drawing charts. It's actually a problem. Um, and it's, they're just like, uh, 
charts about phenomenology and power dynamics and systems and like systems diagram thinking. Um, Are you a spatial learner? I don't like think so. Visual, tactile. I think I'm yeah, a tactile learner. Like I have to map things out in order to understand things. Where can people go to see your work or your performances maybe? So my website, avatarlilith.com is a website. It is a website. It's a website. Um, I also have um, the Ether Complex website that is still in development, um, but that is ethercomplex.com. I haven't visited it in a while. It is. Okay, cool. Ether with an A, though. Right, it's A-E-T-H-E-R complex. Which it come? I think that's the... I was thinking about that the other day. Is that like a British-American thing? No, actually, it's this um, idea. Actually, so the Ether complex started as this parody of tech startups where um, people will use this, like, like Greek gods uh, to signify some type of, like, cult-like... Uh, iconography um, to communicate a specific message mm -hmm. um, and the ether is actually um, the Greek mythology of the air that the, the upper air that the gods would breathe okay. and that kind of to me was this tongue-in-cheek way to say oh well we are the developers of avatars of course we are the gods of this this universe um, and um, we are going to guide people into this um, transcendence into um, virtual reality um, through the building of, of avatars. So essentially, it's very it's this very like godly Promethean uh, tongue in cheek way of of communicating that idea. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, in a way, ether is also a performance, um, but it's also a way for me to think critically. Um, and I hope other others would you know want to think critically about uh what i mean i guess the whole conversation that we had yeah um about our yeah. virtual representations yeah that. yeah exactly ethercomplex.com okay is there anything else you like to no i think uh we we covered a lot of ground we opened a lot of portals um as the kids say and I am really grateful to be in your space engaging in this um, really awesome dialogue. And I think that um, it is absolutely wonderful to be um, engaged with in this way that's inquisitive and um, boundless. And I think that's really important. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Same here. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening. Oh,